Welcome to the Center for Genetically Encoded Materials podcast. I'm your guest host, Sarah Smaga, CGEM's project coordinator. Today's conversation is going to be a little different than what you've heard in the past. I'm here with our regular host, Jeff Townsend, as well as Stephen Gaffney and Omer Odd to talk about GemNet, the software infrastructure that keeps the CGEM team connected. If you want to learn more about GemNet, I encourage you to check out our recent manuscript in ACS Central Science and to email us at hello at gemnet.net. So without further ado, I'll introduce each of our guests and have them tell you a little bit about how they fit into the CGEM team. So first up is the hive mind of GemNet himself, um, Stephen Gaffney, who's a research scientist. So Stephen, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So I suppose you could say I'm the technical lead for the software infrastructure for GemNet, working with Jeff Townsend and I suppose I'm responsible for assembling all of the various tools that we use for coordinating our work as a team. Okay, so next we have Omer Ad, who's an Agilent Fellow postdoc. Hi, I've been working with Stephen a lot on uh, GemNet, and I my capacity is basically a, a scientist for those who who don't you know generally see what a lab is like. I work on doing the actual experiments and um, worked really uh, well with Stephen coordinating a system that takes us from the wet lab to sort of the digital space and how we share information. And finally, we have Jeff Townsend, one of CGEM's six senior investigators. Jeff? Hey. So uh, I'm a computational biologist uh, by training, an evolutionary biologist by training, and uh, and a molecular biologist by training, and a plant microbial biologist by training. So I've done a lot of different things. But one of the major uh, roles that I've played in many cases is sort of data management, working with the databases of different projects. And as the tools have advanced, I've taken on greater and greater roles uh, doing project management, where we actually try to make sure that the data exchange is going uh, in an efficient way so that it enables science to proceed uh, without the barriers of administrative overhead that often arise when you're trying to exchange lots and lots of data. Okay, so I wanted to start by talking about why GemNet was necessary. And so CGEM is a multi-institutional collaborative team. We have six senior investigators across three institutions. And sort of how did the idea come about that we needed a digital software infrastructure to manage this? I'll start by saying that Alana and I, uh, Alana Shepards, who's leading this whole project, had worked together on a couple of occasions thinking about building large collaborative groups. And those large collaborative groups, of course, uh, especially in this day and age, end up generating a lot of data. And so in the process of talking about those sorts of center proposals we'd put together, we thought we should have uh, an aspect that involved developing an infrastructure that would really enable the team to work well together and move in a swift way toward the goals, especially the ambitious goals that we have for a project like CGEM, where we're trying to genetically engineer novel materials on a short time scale using biological and in vitro approaches that are really quite sophisticated and novel. Okay. Um, Stephen, when you started sketching out GemNet, what did you have you know, what was the first thing on the page and how has that changed? Well, it probably started with us all having to get together to write the initial proposals. And for that, we wanted to avoid having to circulate drafts as, you know, I've done in other projects where people are sending 
each other Word documents and you get versions quickly going out of alignment and someone has to step in the middle and you know work out how to merge those changes. I think that was a, a good example where we found that software could provide solutions for issues like that. Um, that pointed towards Google Docs and the associated Google tools in the in the G Suite. That's kind of the core of Gemnet. And um, it was obvious that we're going to be sharing a huge amount of data. There's going to be a lot of documents. There's both the science and the admin side. We're going to need tools to address these things. Otherwise, we'll be completely snowed under with you know, documents and files. So yes, I'd say we'd, we started with G Suite and then expanded from there into project management and related tools. So you're saying that actually Gemnet almost predates CGEM? Yes. So I think everyone, everyone we spoke to had good and bad experiences with software, and we were able to, to build on those in order to learn from other people's experience to find a, a smooth system. Um, so maybe you can go into a little bit more detail about what Gemnet is comprised of. So you mentioned that Google Docs is the core, but how did you choose um, what other services to include and how to tie those together? So there's a mixture of things. The most the most important is speaking to people to, to get their experiences, not just in terms of what they found to work and what doesn't, but also to find out what people are using right now because we want to find solutions that require people to do you know, the minimum amount of change in their, their day-to-day activities. We want this to be as simple a setup as possible. So speaking to the other CGEM members and speaking to other contacts I have who have worked in large teams to find out what they do for, for example, project management. How do you organize your tasks, um, designate people to follow up on them, communicate on those tasks? There's just many different aspects of team management that we needed to solve here. So it strikes me that a lot of the components of Gemnet are actually commercially available and that they're not specific to science. And so how did you sort of make sure that it was customized for our specific team um, doing our specific tasks? We wanted the customization to be essentially as as quick as possible in order to, to get working just right out the gate because everyone wanted to just get on with their work. So we wanted to find off-the-shelf tools that could be usable immediately and then iteratively customized afterwards. We can sort of take the time to improve our setup after we get started. And so we focused initially on tools that would work immediately and then could be enhanced. Slack is, is a good example. So your team can get set up with their communication through Slack and then later add integrations and things to that. As you add more tools to your infrastructure, you can link these tools together. We found ourselves moving from using a sort of disparate set of tools to customization over time. And now we have a quite a smooth system with everything linked to together. So I want to throw it over to Amer, who sort of is on the ground um, using Gemnet in the lab every day. So in a typical workday, how do you take advantage of Gemnet and its tools? Oh, that's a great question. When Gemnet was was starting out... Uh, Stephen reached out to me with some specific things that uh, he was interested in, um, namely building sort of the the databases that actually hold a lot of the information that we obtain from the scientific res- research, but also um, the best way that we think we would be communicating with one another. Um, you know, in early days of Gemnet, 
one of the most close collaborations was between a lab here at Yale, our lab, the Shepard's lab, and a, a lab at UC Berkeley, Jamie Cates' lab, uh, where a graduate student, Fred Ward, and I were working, you know, on a sort of day-to-day basis. So if you look at our Slack messages, this really kind of streamlines sort of email and any other informal communication because it's sort of built in for office-style communication. So we, uh, on a day-to-day, we'll send each other data, figures constantly, which is incredibly useful. It also allows the little details of being able to have channels with multiple people and getting information out to a group of people in in a sort of formal and structured way has been really helpful sort of the way that this helps us in the bench, we, we use a lot of, you know, genetic material. It's in our, our center's sort of title is genetics, and that, that comes from, from organisms. And um, we, we use a lot of genetic engineering and uh, organisms that contain sort of what we call heterologous genetic material, which is material taken from other organisms put into these model organisms. And storing that information both digitally and physically is really important because once it's sort of jumbled and, and thrown in a bin without any information, it's really difficult to actually extract that information back out. And so early days, Stephen and I were coming up with the best way to sort of not only store this information, but build an infrastructure that can be expanded so that once we're long gone, people could still access that data and not only have information to what was done and where it was, but also be able to just physically go to the space and request a sample that they know exactly what, what it contains, who used it essentially, and in many ways, how many times it was sent to other people. So that kind of information is crucial when you, when you have labs all over the country spending multiple years of work with multiple people. That takes away the individual and kind of creates a, a center, which is more in a way that industry does things than the way that academic labs generally operate. So I want to dive a little deeper. You've sort of alluded to the Strains app, which is GemNet's way of managing where particular strains of E. coli are located and also what they contain. That's one of the first custom tools, I think, that you and Stephen came up with. And so, Stephen, could you talk a little bit about how you were able to leverage the power of, you know, G Suite and Google Docs in order to make something that to me just looks like a regular, you know, interactive website? Yeah, so the first component we put together was the spreadsheet, which I think it was the Ship Arts Lab was was the first to start putting all their strains in there. And it became obvious that if people are going to be using this every day, the danger is that if you have the, a spreadsheet open, it's very easy to accidentally manipulate the spreadsheet. So it would be nice to have some separate viewing interface for that data, something which could provide additional functionality for browsing and querying the data where there's no chance of accidentally modifying it. And so my idea was to use the Google APIs. All of the tools have um, an API that lets you access the data and then do whatever you want to it. Um, Use the API in order to build a custom tool on top of that. A very simple web app using Flask, which we provide through our GitHub account, so anyone can download this app for their own use and manipulate it. What this does is it pulls in all of the tabular data from the spreadsheet and then displays it in an interactive table with an interactive plot above it that lets you see the different values in each category of the different columns. And from there, we just added more functionality, such as the ability to get more information on a particular strain and request a shipment of that strain if you're in a different lab. 
Wow, that sounds really great. It seems like we've really taken, you know, what otherwise would be a diffuse amount of data and put it in one um, simple central location. And so were there tools that you had in the original version of GemNet that have sort of fallen by the wayside? And how do you, you know, manage people's engagement with these tools? There were many tools that I tried out. Ultimately, I think we got lucky in the ones that we actually tried in a sort of team-wide way. Um, Slack uh, for communication, Asana for project management, and um, fortunately we haven't had to change G Suite. And actually, as an academic affiliate, I just want to mention that our G Suite account is free and it's easy to sort of for any academic affiliated center to get something like that, right? Yes, that's that's worth mentioning. So all, all of the tools in GemNet are free or use the freemium model, which is that there's a free version or a premium you can upgrade to. I don't think we've actually upgraded to any of the premium versions yet. So we can say at this point that everything we're doing is entirely based on free use software. So how do you think that GemNet has changed the way that each of you work within the team as compared to other collaborations you've been a part of? Well, I can I could speak for the science side. We work in universities in a very collaborative environment. One thing that's really interesting is that a lot of times you're working on something, and even if you're you know communicating it with 10, 15 people around you, there isn't necessarily going to be um, a circulation of new ideas uh, because everybody's sort of focused on their goal. And with uh, GemNet and CGEM, just having the ability to put your information out there to such a diverse group of, of scientists from different disciplines, different backgrounds, uh, different ways of thinking, you actually end up with uh, new ideas, new projects, and new solutions uh, in ways that I don't think arise by just uh, sort of, you know, very direct collaborations between two labs. I also think that in collaborations normally in, in academia, especially if they're from different you know, we're talking about working with someone from a different university. Those collaborations are usually very fruitful, but they, they lack sort of the, the meetings, the constant meetings, whether digital or otherwise, that can happen in a center like this where we have scheduled meetings, scheduled subgroups even within the center where not the whole center meets but just subsets of people. And all that happens because we've set up an infrastructure where we could split off very easily but then come together very uh, very quickly back to sort of a main group. And, and that's really impacted how I, I sort of approach problems and think about things and even just look up protocols that I would have never thought of before. Let me comment on that too. I think one of the goals of GemNet from my perspective is to enable things so that uh, you don't notice what it's doing for you in the, in the following way. I've been in a number of collaborations where a lot of the time that we've spent in, say, meetings is spent uh, asking, how far along are you with that? What have you got with that? Can you send me that tomorrow? When can we get that by? And those sorts of questions are uh, sort of hard to take as an academic. Most of us want to spend our time thinking about science and we don't really want to think about that sort of administrative overhead. And uh, I can say, you know, when we have our GemNet-wide meetings, they're focused on science and we don't have a lot of questions of uh, when and where can you do that. And part of that's because the leadership focuses on science, but also part of that is because we've got enough infrastructure underneath to actually enable us to continue to focus on science and not have to spend 20 minutes before the beginning of the meeting saying, okay, and where is this and what is this and when will that happen? happen and how can we get it all together for the next event. 
And how is GemNet different than some of the other sort of science leadership tools that you've been a part of? Are there aspects of GemNet that you think, you know, other teams should consider utilizing? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm part of a proposal that I put together for for a, a cancer project here in the medical school. And in that proposal, um, it's a really wonderful pro- proposal. We've got great science going on. We don't have a GemNet kind of uh, element. And I kind of wish we did because a lot of the organization of everything is subject to, to many of the things people have talked about. Documents that are being circulated by email that are out of date and, and you know, people having to adjust one thing to another. And the, the problem is that it's hard, I think, on most academic budgets to devote a serious amount of money towards this maintenance process. It's also sometimes hard to find people willing to do it. But the, the main thing is that by devoting a little bit of resources to this, and, and in fact, you know, the relative amount of resources is fairly minimal. It's a lot of effort on our part. Um, but then we have a bunch of free tools we're able to put together into this sort of thing. That little bit of, uh, of effort uh, makes everyone's life a lot easier. To answer your question about how I've seen it change, the, the main thing that I've observed among different projects that I've been involved in are increasing levels of project management and less and less uh, data management. Could you maybe um, elaborate on what you mean by data management and what you mean by project management for our yeah, listeners? Yeah, so uh, data management is just finding a, a storage tool to store data and to handle it by experts, basically, whereas project management is much more focused on all the users in, within a team and how they're going to access that data, how they're going to trade it with other people. And there's a whole aspect of what I call scientific social communication involved in that. That is, you know, how do we get everyone to talk to each other in a way that's fluid and natural and feels like a meeting room instead of feeling like a really awkward method of communicating? Uh, you know, if, if we had to use telegrams for everything we were doing, it would be really terrible. Uh, and so there's a whole span of different ways of communicating ranging from, you know, telegrams to uh, to being able to speak in person in place with someone with lots of tools to actually do visual demonstration. And a lot of what we're doing in GemNet is supplying sets of tools that enable us to be as close as possible to that ideal of being in the same room with someone with lots of tools for visualization. So I want to talk a little bit more about scientific social communication. I'm glad you brought that up. As CGEM's sort of project coordinator, that's a thing that I think about a lot. Um, how can we make sure that everyone in the team feels included and is able to engage? Stephen, when you design the software, how do you think about how people will interact with it? What's the sort of mechanism that you use to determine whether or not something is going to be inclusive and easy versus, you know, scary and hard? Well, a good metric for that is the user uptake, how many people on the team are actually using it. And I've tried to find tools that everyone can use, that everyone can sort of pitch in if they have an idea for a blog post. I want it to be as easy as possible for them to get that blog post into the website without having to learn too much. HTML, CSS, JavaScript, these are all parts of a a website that you don't necessarily want all your scientist staff to learn. So I tried to find a tool which would allow people to work with a much easier language. We use Markdown in the specific case of the website. And all of our tools are like that, this sort of decentralized and that everyone can contribute to to everything. Twitter is probably the source of the, the most clicks and, and views for us. Um, we can have anyone in CGEM being part of our CGEM Twitter team. 
made possible through TweetDeck, which is an extension of, of Twitter. And people can post by being a, a member of that team. Yeah, I think, you know, speaking you know, with less expertise, of course, about the actual setup and how, how these things were done, um, you know, on the sort of digital side. But, but thinking about, you know, what I think has been really effective about this center is that actually not everybody uses it. But uh, like to the hundred percent, but everybody uses some components, and I think that you know the idea when you're trying to build something like this is I think your instinct is to say I'm going to build this sort of monolithic center digitally that is going to be one size fits all. But in most cases in science, especially when you're coming from different fields, I think that it turns into one size fits most, and then one size just doesn't really work, and. What I think Stephen did that's so cool here is that he built this like really diffuse sort of network. I mean, you could see in our manuscript that is open access that um, you have the sort of network of things and they on their own can stand alone and be a really effective tools. And so when you have someone who is more reluctant to sort of dive fully in head first into this sort of digital uh, resource, they can kind of work their way in or just pick and choose apps that really are effective. There are investigators in our group that will be more on sort of the Zoom, only, you know, video conferencing sort of side, maybe G Suite, and not go into the entire uh, center. And that's okay because they don't need to, frankly, be on some of the things that are more critical to, to someone like me day to day or Steven or Sarah. But the fact that this can be broken down and turned into sort of customized centers for each person, a customized center for each person, is really cool and quite remarkable given that all of this is, is free or close to being free for academics. And I know myself as a millennial appreciates the convenience of Slack, the notifications on my wrist, on my phone, on my computer. Um, and I feel like that has really streamlined the way that our center does a lot of our work. So I want to actually sort of for people who are thinking about setting this up for themselves, talk a little bit more about how we set up Slack, which seems to be the main communication hub. Because I think one of academics' biggest complaints is just the number of emails that flood your inbox. Um, and I think that sort of the tool that we've used that's been most successful in alleviating that has been Slack. So in addition to sort of the general channel and the random, um, maybe Stephen could talk a little bit about the management and broader impacts channels and Omer, you can talk a little bit about how you use it for science. Yes. The great thing about Slack, as you mentioned, is that there are different channels that can be on different topics, and each of these channels can have different membership lists. So it's easy to know that the message you send is going to get to the people who need to receive that message. Our center has sort of general discussion um, in the general channel, center management discussion in center management, podcast discussion in the podcast, and and so on. So it's it's easy if you find a, a new link that you think is going to be useful for, say, a podcast episode or a blog post to, to post into that appropriate channel. One of the important things about Slack is that it's generally open. It's pretty easy to just like throw in your little suggestion of something. It may be that doesn't get followed up on, but at least you feel like you can put in your own two cents about any particular idea that might come in. And sometimes those two cents from someone unexpected end up being an important component of what CGEM does. I actually think the emojis are a pretty powerful tool as well. And I know that Jeff is potentially our emoji master over here. Um, but I think that that's a really cool low-impact way for people who maybe are younger or newer to the center to you know interact with what's happening without putting themselves out there quite as much. 
It's an example of sort of the human side of this data science, so to speak. And it turns out that if uh, just going back to the thought of like getting people to use things, it's actually really important to put these little tweaks into uh, software that allow you to add sort of humanity into your interactions and make you feel like it's not such a cold environment. So that's what the emojis are there for and I try to use them regularly uh, in, in my CGEM interactions to just try to give people an idea that I'm there, I'm laughing, I'm happy with what's going on. Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things that I've found really, really cool that's not, aside from just seamless collaboration, is actually the ability to bring in the senior investigators into the day-to-day -day science. So just as an example, um, Two labs will generally meet sometimes by Zoom to discuss things. It'll be two PI, to these two senior investigators and uh, students and postdocs, and there'll be a discussion about what what needs to be done, what materials need to be exchanged, and we'll set some dates. And you know, there's sort of ways that this kind of this thing you know doesn't happen where you know an email is sent with data or with a confirmation of you know material transfer and. Yeah, the graduate students and postdocs probably know it happened, but a uh, senior investigator, it could be one of the 40 emails they got that minute, and it's gone forever. With Slack, you create a channel between those four, and I found that many times I'll send and upload data of a result that I was sort of I was tasked to 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 upload, and um, weeks later, one of the investigators will be like, will realize that it's up there and find it and comment on it and. That's better than nothing, first of all, but also it's great that they actually got to see the raw data, which is something they don't that you know can be missed very often. And so I found that that's been really, really good at bringing all levels of the center into a scientific experiment and give you some some input that way. Um, and then again, from a collaborative perspective, we've shared all sorts of you know just from screenshots to procedures to papers to um, Shipping confirmations, everything kind of comes through that Slack uh, little text bar that we we do, and we we really can share a lot of information. I know that they're you know could potentially be thinking about like email or things like that, but something about the Slack interface just allows you to do that in a way that's really easy to open and uh, discuss uh, easily um, to the point where sometimes I'll send someone data and we're talking about it, and if there's a misunderstanding. All of a sudden, I'll go to the, you know another component of our map and just generate a Zoom link and share that, and we open up a little Zoom call just to clarify something for 15 minutes. And those things you don't really usually see in in collaborations like this. It's great to hear you say that, Omer, because from a PI perspective, the yin yang side of it is that um, you know when I miss all of those things. When I'm about to have a meeting about a particular project, I can go and look at the Slack channel, and in you know. 15 minutes, I can update myself on everything that's happened and be ready for that meeting. And I don't have to spend 15 minutes of your time going through all this stuff that you guys already know uh, just to say, oh, that's been done. Oh, that's been done. That's been done. We can immediately, again, start talking about the science and not talk about this administrative stuff. So CGEM right now is a phase one center for chemical innovation. Um, and so our team is relatively small. But I was wondering sort of on Jeff and Steven's end, what are your thoughts for you know, how GemNet would expand to accommodate a much larger team? 
Well, there's enormous potential to expand what we do with GemNet. As was mentioned, uh, it was a, you know it's a fairly small original team, uh, so we couldn't put together a custom design for a GemNet that would serve uh, especially some of the real uh, hardcore chemistry that that's going on. Maybe there are ways that we can actually help communicate some of the chemistry, which is complex more easily and with fluid interfaces. Um, but there aren't off-the-shelf tools for that because that's very much an academic disciplinary mechanism. So in the phase one, uh, we aim to essentially build uh, the collaborative enterprise set up from all of these freemium or free software, an interlinked tool, GemNet, that would facilitate the team. But I think going into the next phase, what's really exciting is that we could build something much bigger that has both this broader uh, management but also a lot more depth in facilitating chemistry. And hopefully many of those tools that we would develop for our purposes here would be useful disciplinarily within the chemistry community uh, as we focus more and more on the discipline that we're actually working on and less on the broader management goals that have been accomplished under CGEM so far. So you talked a little bit about how GEMnet would get deeper into chemistry in phase two, but I was wondering if you also could talk about the generality of GEMnet and how that is applicable to other science teams. Yeah, the tools that we have implemented here are a lot of tools that could be implemented in a startup or implemented in an industrial application or implemented by a nonprofit. They're, they're very general purpose tools that allow you to manage the set of projects that you have to get done. So I think already, you know, what we've got as a tool set is something that I think many different small centers could adopt, which could really strengthen their administrative tool set, allowing them to, again, focus on the science instead of on the bookkeeping. And hopefully, a lot of people will see the opportunity and take it up. Now that this paper is out, anyone can find it, read about it, see which parts of this are applicable and aren't applicable. Not everything we do will be applicable to every center, but there's no reason why the way it's set up as a tool set, you can take the parts that you like, add other parts, and integrate them as well. Yeah, I think um, Benchling and our Strains app are the only domain-specific parts of, of GemNet. So I think every team is going to have data storage and data browsing needs, project monitoring, teamwork and co collaboration needs, public engagement, and communication. So those are somewhat universal. And we've given instructions for how people can set up GemNet in, in whole or in part, um, or people can just copy the sort of general principles of what we've done from how we made the decisions, which we provide in the manuscript as a set of design objectives that we share, through to the process of building customized applications. And the key to the custom applications part is utilizing APIs that tools offer. So if you want to get data from one tool into another, that data has to be made available. APIs allow you to do everything by scripts. The source code is fully available on our GitHub account. Our user portal gathers data from um, our calendar app and our, our team drive and soon to be Asana into one easy to use place. So I think we're about ready to wrap up here, but I was maybe hoping that we could go around the table and everyone could sort of talk about their favorite tool on GemNet and what makes it so helpful for them. I'll go first and say that I really have appreciated Asana. Um, I've been a part of a lot of teams and I've tried a lot of team management software. 
Um, and I feel like being able to assign tasks, create subtasks, and the the higher level organization of Asana has really helped me organize my thoughts and organize all the things that CGEM needs to be doing and not drop the ball on anything like that. The sort of strength sheet and benchling are my favorite components. And, you know, I've used them before uh, Gemnet, but the way we've sort of integrated them to Gemnet makes me uh, feel really confident going forward. And one of the reasons is because we've basically built a system that allows us to store all the information generated by many, many different scientists all over, not only just our group, but from all over the world into this one sort of large database that can actually be converted in the future into sort of an open access format that will allow everybody to use our tools in a seamless click of a button. I think Stephen just has to give some permissions. And that's really the goal of this center because if you know we want to make genetically encoded materials, everything starts with these strains. And so having them organized in this way where they're isolated from the person who made them and are just available is really, really crucial. In, in my case... Possibly the thing I'm most excited about was um, what I discovered when I was tasked with building the website. Um, I thought it was going to be a very difficult process to get something where we could have an updates page and a sort of blog which had um, the general public able to, to comment. I thought there would be all kinds of horrible technical hurdles involved in getting sort of the archive pages for the blog. And the, I found that this was rather easy and that people shouldn't be put off from making their own website. In our case, we used Jekyll, which is essentially a, a text replacement engine, but the text that our various team, team members can use to generate content is just simple text files. You, you write in um, par paragraphs in sort of very basic markdown syntax, and the Jekyll engine can automatically get give you all of the surrounding, you know, styling and easy-to-use plugins f for, you know, things like embedding Twitter feed, embedding a publications feed, generating your um, podcast RSS feed, all with almost no effort. And then it's served through GitHub pages at essentially no cost. So it, the HTML pages are generated automatically from that, those simple text files um, on GitHub itself which serves our website. So my favorite part of the of Gemnet is actually the user portal. <laughs> it's this uh, combination that sort of puts us at the top of the whole Gemnet and allows us to investigate different parts that we want to get to. And, and to me, it's sort of the key to Gemnet. Uh, if you want to understand everything that's going on and aspects of the CGEM collaboration, you can go to the user portal and you can see what documents have recently been used. And so, you know, it's really useful to me, like we're going on to Zoom and I know someone's working on a document on the Zoom channel. I don't need to go and search for the document. I can just go right to the user portal, look at the top document, and that's probably the document they're talking about because they're working on it right now. So that kind of fluid tool that allows you to navigate to what everyone else is navigating to is what I really want to have in Gemnet. And it's something I'm really proud that we made for this team. Well, thank you all so much for your time. And thank you listeners for joining us. I'll encourage you to subscribe to the CGEM podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. See you next time.